Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of our Government Relations podcast series, Brownstein Policy Director Elizabeth Mayer joins Strategic Advisor Senator Mark Begich for an update on health care, tax reform, the collision of the budget and the debt ceiling, appropriations, infrastructure, as well as some must-do legislative initiatives such as the FAA. Welcome back to the Brownstein uh, podcast. This is Mark Baggage. Usually it's the Elizabeth Elizabeth show, but we only will have half of the Elizabeths today. And so, um, Elizabeth Mary, you have to be on your good behavior because Elizabeth Gore is not here to keep you in check. That's right. So, so Elizabeth Mayer is here with us. Policy director uh, is a well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as a legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle from Arizona. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein clients and numerous legislative and regulatory issues and uses her experience and expertise to advance clients' priorities. So again, Elizabeth, thank Thank you for being here. And it is that time where we have to do the roundup, figure out what's on the agenda. We got lots of items, health care, debt ceiling, budget. I'm sure there'll be, you know, some other minor issues like, I don't know, immigration, who knows, foreign affairs, health care. The bill has shown up maybe assumed to be voted on, but are Republicans within an hour, it seems, or less, were already saying problems. So what what's the Republicans going to do? What where are they at? And this is now sitting in the Senate side. Uh I, I mean I think it's it's I think it's tough to really know what's going to happen, but I will say that um the next 7 days are going to be a very long in duration number of days. Um It'll feel longer than 7 days. Yeah, because they're going to be working around the clock to try to figure out ways to amend the bill in a way uh to get enough votes to get it uh, and maybe, you know, not with much more support than the absolute 50 vote plus maybe a tiebreaker or 50, the vice president. Yeah, uh, majority to get it off the Senate floor. Um, but, you know, I think they knew that they were going to face these kinds of difficulties. It is very, very difficult to craft a bill that satisfies both a wing of folks who um, have become accustomed to a certain um, level of spending and opportunities through um, what the Obama administration did. And then, you know, your more fiscal hawk sort of set of senators who want to sort of scale back the, the some of the expansions in Medicaid and some of the other um, costers in the bill. And frankly, um, they think that by doing some of those things, by seriously scaling back the Obama effort that um, that that they will ultimately help premiums, uh, the increases go down, and um, offer better opportunities for choices in care. Um, and so, it's a young week. I mean, we're, <laughs> and people are going to feel very old by the end of next week. But I think there are still opportunities to get some things together to try to get eke it off the floor. One of the things we do here at Brownstein is we get opportunities to go meet with our clients' boards and so forth and give them presentations about what's going on. I did one this morning, and I described this week uh, 
I saw a news story, and they had eight photos on the on the screen, and it looked like wanted posters of these eight senators that are like in the you know are they going to which ones of those are going to be the vote? It's probably the most miserable time for those eight senators because they would be considered I don't want to say the undecided, but the ones that are the, they're trying to win two or three of those votes, and so their life is going to be miserable. Uh, literally for the next week because the pressure's on. Of course, I'm, you know, the bill's now unfolding and there's a lot more. To, I'm sure in the next 48 hours or so we'll learn more about it, but it's clearly going to be um, a hot potato out there and almost everything else will stop. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. everything else is that kind of I mean, this freezes action. It's going to be all hands on by almost all staff on the Senate side right. um, to try to uh, understand this bill. And to try to advance the priorities of each particular senator. And the trick on this bill, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, is it's a short, you know, whatever is a couple hundred pages, maybe at most, but 172. Pages 172. In. But what's unique about it, it all it, it references areas the repeal. So you have to actually go to the larger bill, which was 2,000 plus pages, and reference back to see what's going away in order to know what is staying in. And that in itself for staff is a very complex problem because if they do the incorrect statement on it or say to their boss, here's what it looks like and find out later, whoops, that wasn't correct because there are three more references in the old bill. So it's a very problematic bill from that perspective and how to figure it out. So health care will consume us for this week. So now tax reform, part of the health care bill does, it seems like the Senate version keeps in place the tax uh, revisions or reductions uh, and eliminations that the House bill had in. But that leads to this next stage, right, of tax reform, right? Sounds like Ryan wants to do that. He's talking about it again last week. He talked yesterday or the day before in his big speech um, that was fairly general about getting a bill done by Hunting Day, um, which we assume means Hunting Day in Wisconsin, which is November. Yeah, I was going to say because in Alaska, it could be September. It could be <laughs> you know, depending on what what you're hunting for, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so he thinks by November he'd like to get tax reform, right? And now tax reform, uh, in some ways, you tell me if I'm wrong about this from the GOP, the, the Republicans, this is kind of like the Holy Grail. It's been what they really have. Wa- they don't want to do health care. That's a that's a lot of time. Tax reform is really where their heart is, where they really want to get into it. Yeah. The problem is if you eliminate the uh, the, the border adjustment tax idea that was in the blueprint um, that Representatives Brady and Ryan support, right. you have a whole lot of dollars to make up if you want it to be a revenue-neutral package. Now, there are a number of conservative senators, for example, who don't care. I mean, they don't and won't insist on revenue neutrality. Right. They but it's a reduction in rates. In they some just cases. want a reduction in rates. Right. right. So you have that difficulty if you're trying to keep it technically revenue neutral. Um, you also have um, there are difficulties in um, marrying up both corporate reform and individual rates reform. And believe it or not, even though it seems so simple, it's the individual part of the package that is just very, very difficult. Because you have lots of folks who are small business owners who file individually, and that complicates the tax code. So you have... You have that difficulty, and then you just timing-wise have difficulty. You have to, if you want to uh, stick to reconciliation, you have to pass a budget that instructs relevant committees to come up with 
packages that fit within the reconciliation structure. And so to do that, you're going to have to pass a budget resolution sometime soon. And you'll understand this so well. Um, if you take a number of members, especially you know, since my area is the Senate, who up until a few years ago had never experienced a Votorama, and then they just recently had one, they're going to have one on this health reconciliation. They would have to have one on a budget resolution. Then they would have to have one right. again on the tax reconciliation package. So to go from zero experience in this reconciliation and Votorama world to potentially three of them. or four times yeah. to have to vote on this, that I think seems to me to be a large undertaking. And isn't there, when you look at this in the budget end of it, so you have the budget, and people have to keep this in mind, this is the budget, the, the, the House health or the health care bill we're in now is a budget reconciliation process. Before you can start a tax budget reconciliation process, you have to finish this one because you can't have two budgets going on at the same time. Right. So you have this timing problem. And if you don't do the health care budget reconciliation process before the next one comes up, that, or if you if the next budget starts moving forward, you lose the rights on that first one. So it's a very you know, complicated in tax reform, you see that as going as budget reconciliation, not a 60-vote deal. It's going to be more than likely pushed into the next, into the budget reconciliation process, tax reform. From everything I've been told, and and you probably know more than I do, but I am told that, you know, the effort will really center around the 51-vote reconciliation effort. Um, you know, you always hear inklings of, well, look, maybe we try to do something smaller in nature, and we try to do it on a bipartisan basis. But. <laughs> but I just don't know that in this climate or this year. I'm just not sure that that's realistic. Well, when you think about the Bush tax cuts, they were done under budget reconciliation. So this is a likely. Now, from us, from our perspective, from Brownstein's perspective, we, we will have, because of this uncertainty on the tax reform and what it means and when, more than likely, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this, you're going to get others in the office will get lots of calls from our clients because they all have, even though they may not be directly related to tax reform issues, they are indirectly, no question about it. Well, sure. And if if things start to get really dicey, um, you know, there there could be an effort if revenue is needed or savings are needed to go back to what was called the camp draft and to extract some of that out. And there were a lot of losers, um, winners, yep. winners and losers in that draft. But many, many clients um, either, you know, had had uh, support or were opposed to aspects of that uh, of that blueprint. Mm -hmm. And so it's a wide open world. We don't really know how this is going to end up. So we'll see probably again on tax reform, we'll see a lot of activity in some form or another, which will then, from our perspective, a lot of our clients keeping them informed, people trying to figure out what it means to them, it will be an ongoing process that we'll be involved in because you'll have not only the House activity, you'll have the Senate activity, which will, on the Senate or on tax reform, which will have two different potential goals. Absolutely. And you do, I will note, um, and, and I think clients would really be interested in this, and a lot of them know about it already, but um, Senator Hatch, as we all know, last week sent out sort of a missive asking for the perspective, ideas, mm -hmm. um, and what people have problems with 
assignment to individuals who would be affected by tax reform. And I think he's collecting those ideas. (laughs) He's going to get a lot. And he has pledged to keep comments confidential so that um, everybody can feel free to just say exactly what they think about the code and about how it should or shouldn't be changed. So we have a big collision course coming September. Uh, Budget, deficit, debt ceiling. Some have said debt ceiling should be done before they go on August break, so they don't have these two things simultaneous in September. But as time starts ticking away, we get, let's just say, we get August recess over, September occurs, you got 30 days before the fiscal year ends, you got a debt ceiling limit at the, the limit, and you have then, in theory, a budget, appropriations, and other things. And if you don't finish health care, through that budget reconciliation, all that comes into a collision course. What do you think? Do you think the Freedom Caucus, I know you work mostly on the Senate side, but on the House side, you have this group that really has been patient in a way on debt ceiling, that they have left that kind of off the table, but now they may see their moment or, you know, right now. Is that a fair statement, maybe, because they see these things kind of colliding? That, that's such a good question. Um so I, there are two camps of folks as it relates to the debt selling. There, and, and I can break it down as an example, even within the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. You have um, somebody like Cohn, who's the head of the NEC, and Mnuchin, who I've heard just want a clean debt sell, Just get right. it over he, with. He said that, yep. But you've always had folks like Mick Mulvaney, who's been pretty quiet about it lately, right. and other folks who want to extract some entitlement reform as a part of the uh, giving giving a vote for increasing mm-hmm. of the debt limit. And th- those two efforts could run into each other. And so I think it really remains to be seen what, what will happen. But many in the Freedom Caucus, I believe in and Mick Mulvaney, at least, is on the record as saying that they want cuts in spending and they want some kind of entitlement reform for their vote, which could theoretically, and we'll have to see, and this is all going to get wrapped in, and, and clients will care about this as well, to the appropriations debate, as you mentioned. All, right. all in September. It's all going to All like- in September. Um, but the end of the debate would also potentially force Speaker Ryan to, and I don't think he's done this yet as Speaker, break his 51 percent Republicans' uh, support for bills, right. uh, the, the so-called the Hastert, Hastert rule right. um, from old days. Um, but he could end up having to get a significant number of votes from Democrats if he can't get the votes among the Freedom Caucus folks to vote for a debt limit because they aren't extracting the kinds of reforms yep. that they want. So we'll have, you know, September, we'll have all these things kind of melding, coming into somewhat of a collision course to a certain extent. In the meantime, you still have another big issue on the table that you don't hear much about, infrastructure anymore. I mean, you hear about it, it pops up because it sounds like a good sound bite. Someone talks about it, then it disappears. It's almost like we're not going to see that. At the rate, when you look at the calendar, it's almost like how does that fit in? And where does it fit in? I think that a lot of people want to work on infrastructure reform, but I think I I really believe that they really haven't advanced the effort much for this year. And I say that I was recently at an event where the person in charge of infrastructure reform for President Trump was the guest speaker. And he said people think they want money, 
but what they really want um, are these guarantees and loans. And people kind of groaned in the audience <laughs> because right. some folks, that is true. They really only want loans and guarantees, but some people want money flat out. Most people want money flat out. Go build the roads. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, I think there's still an educating of individuals in the administration and in Congress about it, and there's just not time. Having said that, I've been I've read recently and been told by staff recently that there will be an effort in the fall. I don't believe it. I don't think it can happen, but I I have been told because we can already see September's going to be gone with other stuff. So let's let's end on something that uh, we hope will be positive, and that is um, in the midst of all this, there's still all these other little uh, must do bills. You know, you mentioned one before we started FAA and some others. Somehow in all this, what are you hearing from staff and others? Do you think these are going to, to, I mean, are they going to pop up and just kind of get like the last day of each, before each break, something there's a long list of unanimous consent items? I mean, is there room for that in all this? I mean, that's something. There has to be. Because people need these bills. Right. The FAA uh, um, extension expires in a couple months. Uh, the authorization for the, for example, this is small, but the EB-5 immigration oh, yeah, that's program. A big one. We, we have a lot of people we talk to in the firm about that. Absolutely. That expires in a couple months. Um, there are a number of programs that expire in a couple months. There's supposed to be an uh, markup in the Commerce Committee in the next couple of weeks on the FAA extension bill. There are also potentially uh, going to be some other non-controversial items linked to uh, user fees um, for uh, medical devices and drugs mm-hmm. um, and over-the-counter um, medications. And, you know, folks hope that um, that those go fairly easily. Right. But it's funny. You, you just never know if someone is going to, for example, drag the debate out or start the debate and not get off it on uh, the medical user fee bill to – drag in drug pricing as an right. issue. Which could be easy. Which could be easy to drag in. Because the president's talked about it, mm-hmm. and some members on both sides of the parties, uh, both sides of the aisle, have talked about drug pricing and getting control of them. So it's not a, that one's actually one that's not just, you know, a Democrat issue, Republican issue, or president issue. It's kind of a mixed bag, because it's really, that one's kind of a geographic area. You know, where do you, where are you from, and do you represent industry? Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how and what the lay of the land is. You know, when you think about it, as we just talked, it's now, you know, middle end of June. Uh, we're health care tax reform budget debt. You still have infrastructure. You have FAA. You have all these other bills. And half the year is already over. So it's 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 a it's a tough next six months. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, I mean. It's a, it's a difficult political atmosphere for everybody as well. Yeah. You know, whether you're Democrat or Republican, it's it's just the incendi the the incendiary sort of aspect of politics makes things a bit difficult uh, right now, and it makes it even harder to get things done. And when we're done with this year, we'll be into election year, and then it's even more difficult. Mm-hmm. 
Well, with all that great news, positive news that we just gave to everyone, it's actually, you know, you think about it, it is the process, the dynamics change from day to day. And what we're saying today, tomorrow, we could be pulling this podcast because everything we said may be wrong. I, I doubt that. <laughs> but That's right. Because one thing we know about the work we do here at Brownstein is we, we spend a lot of time getting a lot of information, intel, and sharing it with our clients and trying to make sure that we understand the environment we're all working in so we give the best advice possible to uh, the clients when they come in and say what is going on in Washington. And knowing that things can change on a dime. That, that's that's guaranteed here in Washington. Elizabeth, thank you for being again here, part of the Elizabeth and Elizabeth show that's half here today. You did a great job. And, and we look forward to doing uh, next month's get together with, um, with Elizabeth Gore. There we go. We'll be back again with the Elizabeth and Elizabeth show in another month. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.